This podcast contains language that is not appropriate for children. But if your child understands international politics between Russia and the Ukraine better than Donald Trump, they can probably listen to our podcast, right? Right. I think so. And um, tonight's episode is brought to you by Jill Stein. Jill Stein, for when you want a presidential candidate who panders to conspiracy theorists. Right? Because, yeah, because people just have have some real questions about vaccines. I mean, they do. And I have some real questions about Wi-Fi. I mean, don't we all? Like, why the fuck did my parents' Wi-Fi work this past weekend when I went down to visit? Like, it was so goddamn frustrating. I had to tether my phone, so now I'm over on my data, and it's just like the start of my like billing month, and it's like yeah. a whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's, but, it's very very first world problems, but I mean, I'm, I'm concerned for the children, honestly, in, in, sco- in schools and Wi-Fi, and I mean, come on, guys, like, let's... Can we just all just vote for Hillary, please? <laughs> right? Can, can like this, she doesn't she doesn't yeah. understand what radiation is, uh, obviously, and like what ionizing versus non-ionizing radiation is. It's the reason it's the reason people think microwaves are going to like I don't even know what people who think that they're dangerous think microwaves do, but it's they, they think it's bad for you or that it's somehow going to cause cancer when like it it is not high enough energy to move an electron out of an atom so how the fuck is it going to in- create some sort of chemical change in your body it's not like gamma ray and x-rays are high energy radiation that's going to fuck you up it's gonna you're gonna have a bad time if you're just hanging out with a bunch of gamma rays but like wi-fi that's the the most the most it'll do is make you sweat and if you have that much wi-fi going through your body that you're sweating you probably have other problems and or need to stop telling so much goddamn porn well i mean i just i guess my only question is does a jill stein presidency mean that we go back to dial up which i mean i'm i don't really i like i love that you know what i mean like i love that aol sound but like i don't want to go back to that so let's just vote against that if we're gonna, that, that was yeah. yeah that was that was that was the time period where you would ha- like web browsers had a option where you could turn off downloading images to, so that the page would load faster so instead of waiting two minutes for the page to load it would load in like you know 30 seconds because it didn't have to download all those damn images that were probably you know 20 kilobytes <laughs> each yeah I know. nothing so yeah so a vote for jill stein is a vote for dial up so let's just let's just say no to that Fight for 56K? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, and thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Natalie. Hey, everybody, and Dan. Yeah, uh, don't yeah. forget the most important person here. Uh, how are you doing on I'm, this fine evening? I'm, I'm doing great on this fine evening. How about you? <laughs> well. <laughs> well, how could you follow up great? I mean, <laughs> it only gets worse from here, because... It always gets worse from here. I was going to say, it can't get better. Oh, yeah. So why don't you go ahead and jump us right into our God of the Week? Okay, so I'm going to jump us right in um, to the God of the Week. Her name is Inara, and she is the Middle Eastern protection goddess, or and also the protector of wild animals. So... Um, this story, while it does not have the usual, again, amount of, like, dicks and stuff, it has dragons. So I thought that, you know, why not dragons? Um, Inara was the daughter of a um, a storm god who at one point was defeated in battle by a dragon. 
because, you know, dragons, people, they fought, um, I guess. So Inara felt really bad for her dad. So she, you know, kind of had a little bit of a vendetta against dragons at that point on. Um, so she obviously probably wouldn't have enjoyed Noah's Ark because there were right. dragons, right? right. Um, yeah. So there was this particular dragon named Ilyanka. Uh, maybe that's how you pronounce it again. We'll go with that. Nobody will oh, email us gonna, to correct us. We're going to go with that. So he was the one that fucked with Inara's dad. So Inara's like, okay, I want to help my dad get back at this dra- get at this dragon. Um, so she had this boyfriend who was a, mor- a mortal man, and his name was okay. I again, I can't read. Hupasius, maybe we'll go with that. Yeah, and so, so yeah, good. so that was her. That was her boyfriend. So together, they decided to set a trap for the dragon. Um, so they can, you know, have this whole revenge plot, um, which would help maintain the normal order of the world and all that shit, obviously, because this is how things happened back then. So Inara's like, how how does one lure a dragon into a trap? And the answer, obviously, is food and booze. That's how you that's how you lure anybody that, into that's, a trap. That's how you lure anybody into a trap. Um, so this dragon and his family, because he brought the family with him to the the trap they they got wasted obviously because there's food and there's booze and and dragons like to drink yeah maybe um so they got wasted I mean, they, yeah who who doesn't depends on like what kind of dragons we're talking about i think i we're i guess we're talking about alcoholic dragons <laughs> so that it's totally a thing um so they, they got drunk they passed out because they got that drunk so this allowed for anara's boyfriend to tie up Ilyanka the dragon, which then allowed for Inara's dad to just come and kill the dragon. So then the normal order of things is restored. Everything's cool, whatever. So that that's a nice little story. And I thought, okay, that's, that's cool. Um, but then it gets a little strange. Like Inara, she had this boyfriend and she wants to be with him, I guess. Um, I don't know. But so she builds him a house up on a cliff, but she tells him like, you have to stay in here. You can't look out because you might see your family and you might get homesick. Um, but of course, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. So she, she essentially kidnaps this, this dude who's just a regular human. Um, like, I guess it's, what is that movie? Like misery where that woman like kidnapped the writer guy. I don't know, whatever. So it's, it's a weird, weird love, love story. <laughs> I um, so so she, he's essentially kidnapped up in this tower. And of course he looks out the window because who's not going to look out a fucking window? It's right there. So he sees his family or sees the world. And he's like, I want to leave because he doesn't want to stay in his. Like, <laughs> because I'm being held against my will. Right. Because, because I'm being like, this was, this was fun for a while in but like, come on, I need to get some fresh air. <laughs> so, so he tells her that. And it's unclear as to what happens after this, because obviously historians didn't do a very good job writing this down. Um, there's one one version that says maybe Inara got pissed off and she killed him. There's another version that where she's like, OK, cool, go home now. Whatever. Either way, he does. He no longer exists in that tower. Um, Inara ends up finding some other guy um, it seems like maybe everything's going to be okay. And then she disappears. And like, that's the end of the story. She fucking disappears. Um, so, well, I mean, I guess Jesus kind of disappeared too. So God's, <laughs> <laughs> so God's like to bail. Um, so like kind of, <laughs> sorry, but it's true. Or it just, not I mean, true, dis- or... disappeared, disappeared, got carried away and disposed of somewhere else. I mean, you know, tomato, tomato. Yeah, whatever. So, I mean, it's funny. Like, some of these stories are just, they're they are total bummers, but um, they're all equally ridiculous. They're kind of funny, kind of fun, and 
ultimately, no, that the really match, happened. It re- it really happened, and yeah. So you so lead, Inara, Natalie, you were yeah. being very disrespectful to pe- some people's beliefs here by saying that it didn't happen and by laughing at it. I know. Um, You're being so disrespectful. I know, and and I like I'm the one though who has to live with myself, and and <laughs> and, and I I actually I mean amazingly I sleep really well at night um, with, <laughs> with with all this blasphemy. I mean maybe it's because I've carried hypnos with me throughout the weeks. Um, ever since Dev brought him up, I, I've been carrying a torch for hypnos. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, so Inara, like protector of wild animals, that's cool. Um, and sorry you disappeared, lady. Um, hope, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. Tonight we are very excited to have Jason Merkley with us for an interview. Um, Jason is the director of Vegan GMO an organization that advocates for a rational approach toward biotechnology as a tool to reduce suffering and improve quality of life for humans and animals. He's a 2015 Global Leadership Fellow in the Cornell Alliance for Science and also a contributor to the International March Against Myths movement. Jason holds a master's degree in business administration from Idaho State, where he majored in philosophy as an undergrad. He currently resides in Salem, Oregon, where he's a full-time volunteer advocate for science as a social justice issue. So Jason, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Um, I would love to get a little bit more about, you know, who you are and who you are in this kind of biotech social justice um, movement, how, how that came to be. So sure. First, let me say, Hey, how's it going? It's really a, a really cool thing for me to be on your show. I'm a huge fan. Um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan. I listen to you guys every week. I think I'm like one of the 12 people. You, so. you are. You're one of the 12. And yeah. we appreciate it because um, we, we are fans of what you what you do, too. <laughs> so so it's, it's, it's a mutual um, fan love fest here. So, um, so yes, introduce yeah. yourself well, to our other 11 listeners. <laughs> just, just get ready for the vegan GMO bump. You're going to be 13 in no time. Oh, uh, yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> we will we will just put like the tagline of the episode as like something about like anything about vegans and then people will just go ape shit commenting <laughs> and, like without even listening or like reading beyond the word vegan because the internet. But uh, yeah, that's that's how the internet works. It's fueled by vegan hatred. Just uh, hatred, I think. But oh yeah that's, yeah, that's a topic of another podcast. Uh fair enough. Uh <laughs> Well, anyway, back yeah. to me. Let's talk about me. <laughs> yeah. This is what we want to talk about. We we want to he- we want to hear all about Jason and um, and how you've come to be on this um, on this show with us. So. Yeah, great. So um, <clears throat> yeah, I got involved with uh, with Vegan GMO um, uh, January two thousand fifteen officially. Before that, um, going back in my life as to how I got involved with science communication in general. Um, I have to recognize that I had a certain amount of privilege being raised in a family uh, that was was fairly well educated that, you know, understood that science was like a thing, like science was cool. It was probably the best way to understand the physical universe around us, which it's, it's fairly decent at that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, I, I would go as far as to say the best way, but you know, (laughs) that's an assumption that, you know, uh, that I, that I have and that I think probably a lot of your listeners have that, that you don't really think about, that not everybody has that assumption um, when you start a conversation with them that science is actually 
a thing that's good at helping us understand the universe. So uh, I feel like I'm a bit lucky to have been raised in a situation where, you know, that was kind of an unspoken assumption. Um, so I was raised in Idaho and uh, in my sort of formative teenage years, then I, you know, I got interested in veganism and, uh, you know, for a while I was like the only guy within a hundred mile radius in meat and potatoes land of Idaho yeah. who was vegan. Like that was my whole identity. I was the vegan guy. Everybody, you know, they're like, right. Hey, you know, that guy, Jason and they're like Jason who, like, you know, the vegan guy, like, Oh him. Yeah. I, I know that guy. Um, so that was fine. I didn't mind. Uh, and I lived like that for about 15 years, but you know, I, I was finishing up grad school and I was thinking it'd be cool to, you know, to move somewhere where I could go eat somewhere other than Taco Bell, um, you know, and have a, a community of like-minded people to hang out with once in a while. Yeah. So um, I headed out to Portland, Oregon, just kind of blindly without knowing anybody or having any leads or anything. Uh, and I got to Portland right in the middle of a big political campaign um, with regard to fluoride and fluoridation of the water. Mm-hmm. which like it totally blew my mind to realize that there's still people arguing about this. Like, right. Yeah. Like how privileged are we that this is like a debate that we like, or, you know, anybody's having. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's something that I never even questioned or thought about. Cause it seemed like such a, an obvious thing. Right, so exactly. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, Portland, we've Portland's got a reputation for, for weirdness, I guess, you know, sort of our informal, motto is keep Portland weird. And, um, you know, you see, you see various expressions of that, but you know, a lot of, you see a lot of conspiracy theories and pseudoscience and stuff like that. And it's sort of embraced and celebrated culturally. And, you know, that's fine. That's a part of Portland. That's, you know, when, when you accept it for what it is, then, you know, it's a nice little piece of the city's identity. But for me coming in as an outsider, it was, you know, sort of, shocking sort of a shocking introduction to um to what life was going to be like living out here in this part of the country so at that point in time i really hadn't paid that much attention to specifically the gmo debate you know i'd heard buzzwords like gmos you know monsanto all that kind of stuff and um sort of being kind of a lefty anti-corporate kind of guy then i guess my my own personal confirmation bias sort of um made me lean that direction like oh yeah this company's obviously trying to take over the world food supply why wouldn't they of course um so as i got involved in uh some of the vegan circles and in other social circles in portland then you know started to hear more and more about just how terrible gmos are right um and i kind of started parroting some of those talking points and some of those ideas without really thinking much about it and you know just being a smart ass and arguing on the internet like i do you know somebody eventually challenged me on a point that i didn't have a good rebuttal so uh i actually did some research on some reputable websites and you know looked at some actual journal articles and things like that and you know came to the sort of unremarkable conclusion that most of the stuff people were saying about gmos is nonsense um well the the fact though that you that you went and and investigated the cha- like the challenge to your worldview i mean like i i have to give you you know call you out and give you credit for that because not everybody will do that will take their worldview being challenged and you know 
do with it what you did. So that in itself is, you know, right. Yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate that, but I, I probably don't deserve as much credit as you're giving me because, you know, I wasn't like on a quest for knowledge. I was just, just take the damn compliment. No, I was just an asshole who wanted to prove <laughs> someone else wrong. Yeah. Right. I just, yeah. I wanted to shove it down somebody else's throat. Like, see, I told you so, but, but in then the process, you're like, Oh, I, oh shit. I, I cannot <laughs> shove this down anybody's throat right now. Because right. I was, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I was just being a jerk. I don't deserve any credit for that, but all right. All right. Well, you're you. okay, cool. Well, you're, you're, a, you're a better edu- educated jerk for it. So yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I accidentally became better educated by being yeah. a, a big jerk, right? Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, okay. So, th- so there you are. You now have this, this knowledge that is going counter to some of what you'd been hearing in your right. circles, right? So, so then what do, you, what do you do with that at that moment? So um, beyond just, you know, having some of the myths debunked and knowing that, you know, the conspiracy theories and things weren't true, then I, I found out about all this positive stuff that can be done with the technology, which, like... I got really excited about like, not only is this not a bad thing, this could actually be a really, really good thing. Uh, and so like I rush back to my friends who were, you know, part of this kind of anti GMO bubble. And, you know, I'm like, guys, I have this awesome news. Like you wouldn't believe what we can do with this stuff. We're going to be able to change the world in so many positive ways. And, um, I was like, really, and how'd that go? Yeah, I was really shocked. Like, I, I mean, obviously, I, I must have been very naive, much more naive than a man in his 30s ought to be, probably. But, um, yeah, people did not did not um, take my word for it or bother oh, reading any of the links that I told them to check out. Um, and, and not to say that everybody in Portland or everybody in the vegan community is, you know, is into this anti-GMO stuff. There's plenty of people who were like, yeah, that's what I've been saying all along. And, you know, like, oh, yeah, you're right. But um, I was shocked at, like, the number of people who unfriended me on Facebook and things like that when I'd start talking about this stuff in various forums. And it was a real bummer. But at the same time, it was like, you know, I, I'm sitting on this this amazing information. Like, this stuff can change the world in so many positive ways if we'll just, like, GTFO and let it happen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Know, yeah. And so around that time, then I stumbled onto Vegan GMO's Facebook page and I was like, oh, cool. So there, there is like this sort of up and coming community of pro-science vegans and I want to be part of that. And, um, and they around the same time put out like an open call, like we're looking for somebody to help us do some maybe social media management or something. And, uh, you know, having the incredibly high standards that we have, they obviously took the very first person to volunteer, which was me. And, so good, good timing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, you know, at that time, Vegan GMO was just kind of a side project. Uh, the founders who made Vegan GMO were involved with a lot of other social justice causes and vegan causes and, and um, you know, science and skepticism causes as well. And th- it wasn't getting a lot of attention, but I kind of um, poured myself into um, – getting content out there and getting conversations going on our page. And we slowly started accumulating um, a fan base, which is cool. Yeah. And, and also around that same time, uh, one of our co-founders, Dave, Dave Sutherland um, had met with Dr. Sarah Evanja from the Cornell Alliance for science, mm-hmm. or he had given a presentation. I can't remember what the forum was, but she approached him afterwards and, you know, talked about how she was really interested in what we were doing and, um, we shortly thereafter got an invitation to apply for the Alliance for Science Fellowship, 
And uh, yeah, I guess the rest is kind of history from there. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. Um, we've we've definitely, I think, mentioned Dave on this podcast before. I think the first episode because we kind of talked about March Against Myths, um, mm-hmm. and just it's it's really neat how there's this whole network of you know kind of pro pro science, pro GMO activists, also just really working for kind of the social justice cause. Um, and and yeah, and the fact that you did the Alliance for Science is is pretty rad in itself. And maybe can you tell you know the listeners a little bit about that? Um, what the Cornell Alliance for Science was about, you know, what the, who, like who was part of it and, and what the, the general goals of that program yeah, were. Yeah, for sure. So the Cornell Alliance for Science is awesome. I am so, so proud to be, to have anything to do with, with the Alliance. Um, it's a global initiative to help. Basically what they're trying to do is to increase access to agricultural technology around the world. Um, and so they have various um, various things they do to try to you know work towards that goal, and and one of those things is they have this global leaders fellowship, which you know I got to be a part of the inaugural cohort of twenty five. Um, there were there were four Americans in the group, but the rest were folks from Africa and Southeast Asia, um, and so it was really amazing for me to get to to network with people who come from, you know, countries where food security is, you know, it's not just an abstract concept. It's like, I know people who suffer from micronutrient deficiencies or I know farmers whose entire crop is wiped out by blight or, you know, insects or whatever. Um, And so like, that's, there was, it kind of made a big change in me and the way I thought about it, because up until this point, you know, as I mentioned, I'd kind of just been arguing about this stuff just to be a jerk, but, um, you know, meeting people who who really, really need access to this stuff um, made it much more personal and um, and and sort of solidified in my mind just how important this work is from a social justice standpoint. Well, and I think I think it definitely you know can give people like us who live in a country where you know food security is not so much of an issue. It, it kind of gives you pause. I mean, I I got to come to. Um, the launch at the United Nations, you know, at, I guess, as you guys were closing out your, um, your program and stuff and just hearing people from other, other places speak about what food issues they're facing. It, um, I mean, it kind of makes using biotechnology. Um, I mean, it's a no brainer yet. There's so much opposition to it, um, from people like in our country who, I mean, well, and even, yeah, and the, the the same people in like we have just like we have people in our country. There's people in these other countries like saying similar things about the, the dangers of GMOs and and things like that, like scaring these these people into thinking you know that they're going to be sterile if they eat a GMO. Just things that have no basis in fact, but these people you know who may not have access to information like that in the first place have you know they you know what are they going to believe? Right. Yeah. We're, we're a risk averse species and, um, you know, the bad news hits us harder than the good news. And, um, we've sort of adapted to, you know, if we see a rustling in the grass to assume it's a tiger and run away and the people who were like, Oh, it might not be a tiger, you know, slowly got eaten by the tigers and didn't pass on their genes. (laughs) So that's kind of the legacy that we've inherited. So, um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, we, we keep, um, spreading information and um, demystifying technology and hopefully getting, 
you know, some of that fear out of the way and explaining why a lot of those fears are unfounded, um, you know, and then we can start to make progress on a grassroots level and hopefully turn that into political change. And how, how do you think we go about doing that? Um, you know, it, it depends on the context a lot because the, the fears and concerns of farmers in Kenya, for example, are a lot different than the concerns of hipsters in Portland. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, absolutely. like Dan mentioned that people in, in certain countries that um, sort of have like a, a, a large kind of fundamentalist Christian base, you know, in those countries, then there's, you know, certain Western um, anti-GMO corporations who will go in and kind of nudge them to take advantage of that. And, you know, there the argument's going to be, well, it's going to make your kids sterile or it's going to make your kids gay or transgender or something, because that's like, in that's their minds, well, the worst yeah, thing that could happen. That's how it works. Yeah, right. but too, yeah, exactly. But, they, but capitalizing on the biggest fears that people have. Exactly. Because exactly. that, that's, what, that's what a lot of this, you know, it's about It's about fear and capitalizing on on fear. Whereas, you know, even though things have not been, you know, GMOs are, are safe. Right. Know, but, and, and they were, you know, they can solve some problems, but it's the fear kind of gets, gets to people. So, so how do you like, so how, how do you think we can, I guess, work to combat the, the fear mongering approach? To mm-hmm. things? I mean, you know, and I guess between like vegan GMO, things like mammoths, all, you know, these different groups that are trying to work towards that. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have like the answer with a capital A, but I'll, I'll tell you my opinion from, uh, you know, the, the cool experiences that, I've been lucky enough to have with, you know, the Alliance for Science and science communication training. And that's that the opposition has sort of filled the void with their own narrative, right? So like this new technology came out and the general public, you know, is not qualified to evaluate the pros and the cons of the new technology. It's just this new thing and newness is kind of scary by itself without any horror stories. And so there's this void between the science, the scientists who develop it, and the general public. So the antis have got out there in that void, and they've filled it with all kinds of scary stories and negative narratives. And us on the other side, we've been playing catch-up. We've been trying to debunk these myths. But, you know, as we've just been discussing, like, if you hear something scary on one hand and you hear somebody else say it's not true on the other hand, we're sort of our, our cognitive bias kind of tells us to lean towards, um, you know, caution. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you ask me what we need to do is we need to stop trying to play catch up and stop wasting our time debunking the gish gallops that people copy and paste all over Facebook. <laughs> and, you know, we need to start filling that void with our own narratives. We need to start telling positive stories about, lives being changed for the better, um, you know, by this technology or the potential that technology has to change lives for the better. Well, and that, and I feel like, you know, a lot of the, the writing kind of that I've seen you do, um, in various places like side of net and everything, like it, it's definitely geared towards, yes, here is what this can do rather than I, yeah, I'm going to take your argument for why it's scary and just, you know, tear it apart. It's more, I, it is, it's about the narrative. Um, and I, I re- that's why I like what you guys are doing. Um, by, by putting out there like this, like it's cool. It's pretty cool technology. I mean, and, and actually, I mean, from the standpoint of being vegan, right. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's probably some interesting advances in terms of biotech and food just for 
for people who follow a vegan diet or maybe people who don't follow a vegan diet but are like hey i can i can be down with more you know plant-based um, definitely alternatives so mm-hmm. maybe share some of your favorite um possible sure coming out yeah so specifically with regard to like vegans and the vegan community and what you know what we're excited about you know i just got home from this conference in San Francisco hosted by New Harvest, which is an organization that funds research into cellular agriculture. And um, they're developing a lot of technology for basically replacing animal foods with things that are exactly the same, but don't actually come from an animal. So, um, you know, people talk about quote unquote test tube meats, Uh, you know, like uh, there's a company called Memphis Meats that has had a lot of press recently with their meatball that they made from um, stem cells. Yeah. Um, And, you know, from a vegan perspective, that technology is so cool because um, it's got the potential not for vegans to eat, but to go out and compete in the market with actual beef. And so that hopefully the net effect will be that there's going to be less cows, you know, being, um, slaughtered for meat production, which hopefully vegans can recognize as a good thing and a positive change. Yeah, that's now, no, that's really cool. And, and I would, mean, would I, that I mean, and this may be a little just getting personal. Would that for, to you or or even to vegans, I guess, as a whole, would that change like your your thoughts on eating meats? Like, if I mean, of course, like it would have to go through you know testing and things like that, but like say they're able to make that like would you would you or do you think like others would be like receptive to that and like be okay with eating that so there's a lot of different reasons why vegans become vegan in the first place um you know some of some people just like yeah well well, for the sake of argument like like go i guess we we can go with the like the the vegans who are just because they don't like the cruelty to animals or uh you know farming and, and things like that yeah So for that kind of vegan, then I think this technology sort of takes away uh, any rationale to to avoid it. Um, Do do you think they'd be able to overcome just just the thought of, well, at some point like this was, you know, or this was going to be or is, you know, part of a cow or could be. I I don't know. That's just a weird thing to talk about. I I mean, I'm excited to eat like a test tube burger, like whenever, <laughs> whatever it actually is, not like however much, like $80,000 a pound or something like right. that. But, but like, it's, I don't, know. I don't know. It's just so weird. Yeah. I mean, the technology is still, I mean, the vibe I got from the conference was the technology is still like 10, maybe even 15 years away from yeah. being marketed. So uh, we vegans have a long time to think about it and make up our minds, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But but, you know, it, but it's like it's in the pipeline. It's something that's being worked on that that can be kind of kind of interesting for a community of people who make, you know, certain deliberate food choices. Definitely. And yeah. the vegans I've talked to have been kind of mixed. Like some people are like, oh, yeah, I'll try that. I want to support the company because I understand how it might affect the market overall. And other vegans have been like, you know, I, I don't have a moral opposition to it, but I've just not eaten meat for so long that it just kind of has this ick factor in my mind. Yeah. It's just sort of a personal preference thing that I'm not going to really eat it. Yeah. 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 But, you know, the, the technology is cool for non-vegans as well because, um, you know, the, the animal agriculture, yeah, animal agriculture industry um, has a lot of sort of negative environmental impacts. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's, I, 
it to like admitting my own like flaws here. Like I used to be one that would kind of jump in on the bandwagon of making fun of vegans or uh, the, you know, doing the well, but have you ever tried bacon, uh, you know, type type of conversation with that. And I, you know, just like, like you, you know, I, I would just go, I just went along with it and then actually had a conversation with somebody about it. And I forget who it was. And this was, I mean, and I'm talking like, this is like three or four months ago, I had a conversation with somebody and actually listened to what they were saying about, um, you know, the, the amount of pollution and things like that. And to me, like it absolutely, you know, does make more sense to have a more plant-based diet just all around. Uh, and, but, but then, but then at the same time, like, I love cheeseburgers. So it's like, it's, it's hard for me, but like how, I mean, uh, so outside, outside of, you know, somebody just admitting that they're being a dick like I was, I mean, how do you think there's, you know, how do you engage people who act like that and people who like say things like that or, uh, you know, are, you know, aren't really, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, aren't. <laughs> Like people, right, so, who, people who are dicks on the internet. People, <laughs> <laughs> specific, we'll, we'll, we'll focus that to just specifically <laughs> referring to, anti, I guess, anti-vegan people, which is which is really like what they are. They're anti-vegan. Yeah, uh, I mean, the the short answer with how I engage with those kind of people is that I don't like. I'm yeah. I'm not interested because you know they're not interested. It's they're not interested yeah, in a back and forth. Having a, yeah, they're they don't not weighing the pros and cons. You know, yeah. they just want to slam something and and they you know honestly they want to get a rise out of vegans and get a bunch of people come and like overreact and get emotional and you know like it's it's kind of funny not not throwing my vegans under the bus and saying it's funny when they're whiny but just in general like when you pick on somebody and you get like a big explosive emotional reaction then you know that's kind of funny if you know you're a jerk like I you know. I used to be. I'll say I used to be. Right. You're, you're, a, you're a former jerk. Right. right. A, a reformed, you're a reformed jerk. jerk. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so yeah, I, you know, I pick my battles and, uh, you know, I'm happy to engage with somebody who wants to talk and wants to exchange facts or learn something or teach me something, but somebody who just is in it for the lulls, you know, not really interested. But then I guess that that goes back to what you were saying too, about like, providing like the positive stories and the information that could maybe like pique the interest, not, not of the people who are bashing, you know, whatever it is, because it, it could be vegans in one comment thread. It could be somebody else in another. It's just people like to just be haters, but, um, but to what you guys are doing in providing the stories that could, that could maybe change people's minds, not in an argumentative way, um, but just by putting, putting forth information and yeah. Yeah. You, and I mean, you, yeah. You let the other person control the narrative if you're just responding to their mud flinging, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think too, at this point, you know, we, we can often focus on the things that are happening like in our, in our country, in our world, but I think continuing to share the stories of, you know, how biotechnology can impact, you know, on a global scale um, is important too, to make us all feel, you know, like we can maybe be part of making the world a little bit better. Right. I mean, that's part of like, you know, Alliance for Science and what you yeah. know, I think we all as humans want to be doing, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, were there any particular um, I don't know if it was people that you met or, you know, biotech advances that, that stick out for you as having more of that global impact, you know, um, on food supply and and all of that? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, 
there, there are so many cool things out there. Um, I think one of the first things I learned that got me just super emotionally invested in this was this statistic that I'm sure you guys have heard and probably most of your listeners that there are 250,000 to 500,000 kids who are going blind every single year from vitamin A deficiency mm-hmm. yep. and that like a half of them die within a year of going blind. And that's just so staggering. I mean, that's a yearly figure. This is like an ongoing thing. And, you know, and, and that's, it's only going to it's only going to rise as global population rises. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and to know that there's technology being developed, which, you know, golden rice isn't perfected yet, but mm-hmm. you know, I got to believe in the current form, it could still do some good in that regard. Um, and at the very least, this is something we should be giving people the option to use. Like here it is, you know, use it if you want, if you don't want, then don't whatever, but it's here for you. Cause you know, that's how the licensing works. They want to give it away for free. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's yeah. just, it's infuriating. It's mind blowing that, that we can't give these people this free technology. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to say about it. It's just, it's crazy. Right. Because the go- whole golden rice thing is, is a nonprofit, right? Uh, yes. Yes. The technology, the, the trait was um, donated by, I want to say Syngenta. I don't remember for sure, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's patented and it's being licensed. It's given away for free to farmers who make, I think $10,000 us dollars a year equivalent, which is, you know, like orders of magnitude more than subsistence farmers make in India and some of these, you know, global South countries. Yeah. So, so right. It it is a a technology and advancement that could help children. I mean, essentially not go blind and die. Right. Yet, yet it's demonized because it's, well, and then, and then you have assholes like Greenpeace that are like working counter to that and destroying test plots and, and blocking further research being done. Yeah. It's so sad. These people from Greenpeace, I mean, I don't want to like jump on the Greenpeace hate bandwagon. You know, they do. I mean, I'm obviously pissed about this particular thing, but if you look at the body of work that they do and sort of um, their core values as an organization, then you just look at it and go like, this is not in line with what you guys want the world to look like. You guys should be supporting this. And I know that people who are in Greenpeace aren't just like evil bond villains or something. Like they're, They're like, they're decent people and they're trying to do what they think is best. And it's, it's just really sad that, you know, I can't help but feel like one day most or all of them are going to really regret the involvement that they've had. Sort of like oh, yeah, Mark Linus yeah. ended up doing. Right. Yeah. Cause he's somebody who changed his mind right, right. on, on, on all of this. Um, and, and I like, you know, we, I feel like the, this conversation, you know, in, in different, when we cover different topics on this show, whether it's when we're talking about people who, you know, practitioners of homeopathy or naturopathy or whatever, like we're not necessarily talking about, like you said, like evil bond villains, right? It's people who have somehow had their worldview shaped by misinformation. And, and I guess the goal is to eventually try to have more people come to the side of logic and reason and, Things that are determined by, you know, like you talked about science in the beginning, like having, you know, being shaped by a scientific worldview. Um, but yet it seems like there's a lot of people who are not not on that on that bandwagon yet. Um, 
Right. And it's, yeah. And I guess the work you're doing is trying to change minds. Um, yeah. So yeah. here's the thing about people um, making decisions about this kind of stuff. Like the facts are all out there, right? Um, the papers are all out there. Um, the websites are all out there. The scientists are out speaking. The facts are there for anybody who wants to see them, but people still aren't figuring this out. So what this comes down to and why vegan GMO needs to exist as a vegan entity is that people make decisions based on emotion, based on um, in-group status, based on shared values. I think shared values is really the key phrase. Mm -hmm. So like with vegan GMO, you know, for a vegan who's trying to navigate all this information, you know, it helps for them to see that there's an organization of people who share their core values you know, that want to see an end to animal suffering and things like this. And that, you know, having that perspective, we are promoting um, this technology because it can actually lead to that kind of world. And the fact that it's coming from somebody who shares those values is, um, you know, makes our side of the story much more interesting than the anti-GMO facts coming from somebody who's not a vegan, for example. No, because you're right. Community and shared values um, are just an important part of being a being a human, right? So, as much as we can bring this into just daily life and interacting with each other, maybe that that helps. Just taking the personal approach to it. And no, I, th I think it's wonderful that vegan GMO exists for for people who you know who are vegans are interested or are just interested in you know having that be a little bit more part of their life. You know, even if they're not going going full vegan, right? So, yeah. It, it's, it's, so this is, this is something I think I've said this because Natalie and I are in a couple like group chats with a bunch of friends. This is something that I've brought up in there at least a couple times. Like I eat, I, I, I eat more meat. I, I know more meat than I should like large, like every, like everybody has a problem with portions. I eat more meat than I should because cheeseburgers. So like if, if I'm wanting to like get more plants, like plant-based foods into my diet, but I also don't want to eat like a black bean burger or like whatever, like whatever fake chicken nuggets are, are made out of. Like what are, what are some ways that you would suggest to somebody to, to just, to just do that? Like other than like something, something that I've done is like, I, I try to replace like eating chips with eating carrots, but like, that's not, <laughs> for me, for me, for me, yeah. But for me, at least, that's not sustainable because eventually I'm going to be like, I want a goddamn like nacho cheese Dorito, like. But like, what what's something like that you can do, like, like small scale, like just small changes, like on a daily basis, to to try to just work in more more plants in your diet. Yeah. Um, well, you might be talking to the wrong guy for that because I actually <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of fruits and vegetables, which <laughs> surprises a lot of people um, who find out I'm a vegan who is not a big fruits and vegetables kind of guy. Do you uh, just do you just survive off of sunlight and water and? <laughs> uh, no, that's like a level is there, fifteen. Is there something vegan. about yourself. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like level twelve. I'm almost there. You're almost there. That's well. C good luck. <laughs> I think you just found. I, I think. I think we just just found the uh, cover pick. The Simpsons meme <laughs> with, the, with that guy saying, "I'm a level five vegan." Yeah. No, he's a level twelve. He's a well, level twelve. Yeah. Well, you know. Maybe. Maybe. So your original question about how to kind of switch over, I'll just say for context, back when I went vegan in um, sort of like the mid to late 90s, um, there was like 
there wasn't a lot of analogs. There wasn't a lot of direct replacement, like vegan versions of things. And um, now that situation is a lot better. So um, like the diet that I eat today is <laughs> basically the same diet I ate before I was vegan. I'm just eating, you know, like the vegan version of the old stuff. So um, I would say, you know, there's some good, some good vegan analogs worth trying out. And, uh, you know, it kind of varies by market. Like one of the reasons I moved out here to Portland is because there's so many vegans that the stores all sell, you know, the good stuff. Uh, all, all the all the good vegan food. Yeah, yeah, you know, like the fake meats and the fake dairy products and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I would say give different brands of vegan analogs a chance. And, you know, people, you know, some of them you'll like better than others. And different people will will argue about, you know, like which vegan cheese, for example, tastes the best or which vegan meat product tastes the best. Uh, but, you know, I think hopefully there's something out there that... Um, that isn't too terrible for you. I mean, I really like some of it. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like it isn't too terrible. Like it's all <laughs> awful. Like I, I'm really into some it's, of this. It's stuff. not the worst. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag not the worst. <laughs> Jason, something maybe that we can you can go into a little bit is if or how biotechnology can help with the very real problem of um, global warming. Yeah. So looking forward, we've got this huge problem where. We're going to have this population explosion, uh, looking at 9 billion people by 2050. And at the same time, we've got climate change happening. So we've got to figure out how to feed all these extra people with the complication of uh, having agricultural um, systems producing smaller yields because of climate problems, which, um, you know, are, you know, a lot of people don't realize it's not just going to be the heat, it's going to be salinity in the soil as um, higher ocean levels come and start washing inward. Um, it's going to be, you know, things like food is going to be spoiling because of the increased temperature to the point that it's going to take a bigger chunk out of available food security. Um, certain plant pathogens that thrive in sort of the equatorial climate are creeping north and south as temperatures get warmer. Um, we're seeing water shortages and those are going to get worse and worse. Um, so all of this stuff is working against us and we don't just have like all this untapped arable farmland to just go grow 75% more acres of staple crops. So, yeah, well, we can just, we just cut down more rainforests and then that'll make plenty of room. Right. Yeah. If we just get rid of all the sequestered carbon in all our forests and wilderness <laughs> lands and that won't affect global warming at all or accelerated. No problem. You're right. Um, <laughs> No, but these are all problems that the biotech can help with, right? So we, we have um, prototypes of rice that can resist salinity or that can um, withstand flood and drought better. Uh, you know, we have resistances to, to insects, to diseases, to blights, um, you know, and the way I put it in one of the articles that I wrote is that we can either use biotech to survive climate change or we can use it beforehand to sort of prevent a lot of the worst case scenarios like a lot of people don't realize that you know herbicide tolerance has um, allowed this trend of no-till farming to explode all over in, our, in the biggest um, agricultural centers and that's cut greenhouse gas emissions by a ridiculous amount um, and this, that's positive you know and, and this is another example of how the narrative has been flipped and we're all talking about glyphosate and how scary it is and whether or not it gives us cancer. Meanwhile, nobody's noticing that there's like 
you know, I don't remember the exact number, like 10 million less cars worth of greenhouse gas being shot into the atmosphere. So, so yeah, biotech, it's like, it's not a silver bullet. These are complicated problems with climate, with, um, with government, with economics to get all these people fed. Biotech is one useful tool and we're, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot if we're not even going to give people a chance to use it. Thank you. I mean, I, th I think that this is, these are very important messages for people to hear that, you know, biotechnology is not just going and like making the decision to buy a bag of chips that say non-GMO project on them or like or thinking that it's all Monsanto or whatever people's you know preconceived notions are. It's, it's a technology that's going to hopefully change the planet and make it a, a place where we can live. Um, well, and I think something something I, I and of course, I can't attribute it correctly, but it's what's going to happen is we're going to have an issue like uh, like oranges are going to you know they're having an issue with with blight and you know we're going to have an issue where we're not going to have oranges or it's going to be you know extremely uh, limited supply of oranges or the uh, Cavendish banana like the banana that you know when you think banana what you eat you know it's going to get to a point where we don't have that anymore or it's extremely expensive or whatever that people are going to realize, well, GM, GM technology can actually save this and, and make this something that isn't, you know, a, a species of plant that disappears that we don't have access to anymore. And I mean, that, that makes a world of sense. It's going to take something like that to get a lot of these people who just, you know, like and share whatever they read on, you know, GMO free USA or, or whatever, or March against Monsanto or whatever, you know, whatever their favorite site is. That's, that's what it's going to take to, I, at least I agree with, that's what's going to take to get a lot of these people to actually buy into the technology. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, I am worried that you might be right about that, that it might take some level of global catastrophe or, you know, like the complete shutdown of the Florida citrus industry before right. people will start like admitting to themselves that, oh, I guess we could have done something about that. Maybe we're wrong. Well, and we, yeah, and, and that's the other half of that is, you know, they'll say, well, you're not doing, you know, there's not enough research being done, but then like, what, what was it like University of Wisconsin, they protested the research and like, so it's like, you're complaining, there's not research, we're trying to do research, but then you're not allowing that research. Same for Greenpeace, we're not, you're not, or I should say, like you said, uh, some members of Greenpeace, you know, are not allowing that research to be done so it's like well what what do you want here you just you, you don't want anything to happen you just want people to just agree with you and have that be that yeah that's such a disingenuous circle jerk to it sit is. there and, and say oh there's not enough research while you're going out and actively like vandalizing and, the research and that's opposed to the genuous uh circle jerks <laughs> that, that you could be having or, well i'm having one right now <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Wait, is this recording? Oh, oh. <laughs> you you fit very well on this uh, on this yeah. podcast. You you know you know what you signed up for. No, um, but to. but like but along those lines, like just to sort of um, bring it back to a positive narrative on that, um, yeah. biotechnology <laughs> can also sort of give us hope for recovering from some kind of catastrophe like that. Um, for example, I'm thinking of the American chestnut tree, which. Mm -hmm. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with the situation, um, this is a species of tree that used to stretch for you know the entire um, east coast of the United States. Um, and then at some point, 
some imported trees from Asia um, had a pathogen that spread to the wild forests and wiped out these awesome trees that were a great food source for indigenous people, for a lot of wildlife, and you know, are just beautiful trees. And now we've got um, scientists who have figured out how to create a GMO chestnut tree that is resistant to that pathogen. And, you know, that presents the opportunity for us if we, if we decide to move forward, we can actually restore those chestnut groves, which, you know, I think is amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I like, I like kind of ending on a positive, right? Um, in these, in these interviews, right, Dan? That's good. To... You, you do. And then I yeah. offer my opinion on things and I always, <laughs> so, I always um, bring it down. Well, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take the lead here and and um thank and thank you, Jason. Yes, thank like, you. Yeah, for, thanks for having for, me for sharing this with us. Um, I mean we're we're not gonna get rid of you yet though because you are gonna tell us why um we love the internet this week. But um, <laughs> but yeah, but so just to uh to our listeners, if you enjoyed the interview with Jason, and I mean we know that you did. He's a reformed jerk, and everyone loves a reformed <laughs> jerk. Um, be like be sure to follow um Vegan GMO on Facebook and on Twitter. And follow Jason on Twitter at Mason Jerkley. Um, but links to everything will be in the, the show notes for tonight. And um, Jason, you you get to do us the honor of, <laughs> of telling us why why we love the internet, why you love the internet, which is why we we love the internet this week. So, oh man! So can you can you tell us? Like I'm pull, I'm just gonna pull it up on my computer. Um, t- tell us why we love the internet. So. I didn't realize you were going to make me have to talk about this. I well, yeah, kinda... see that, that that's part of this is like you. Yeah. Cause we, I mean... every, every week it's hard. Cause we have to try to not laugh when we talk about things. That, <laughs> I was saying, like, yeah. I just, yeah. I clicked this link for, for the first time and <laughs> this page. Oh my goodness. All right. See, part, so, partly the reason I picked this page was because I was going to be entertained by hearing you fumble around <laughs> trying to explain it to people. Okay. <laughs> so this totally backfired. It, it totally backfired. I mean, we can, we can take a shot. Yeah. I just, I, I like. Okay. So te- at least just tell us, tell us what it is and yeah, tell us what it is. So, um, we're talking about the Facebook page of, a little known presidential candidate, Matt Romney. Um, and now Matt is sort of a classic American tale, uh, of a guy who gets drunk and and writes really in uh, it's it's so, called shit posting. So, yeah, so, so it's like so he it's like a shit a shit posting page of a guy of like a middle aged man who like drunk books right like he Facebooks drunk. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm sure. Character I'm, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure it's a character rather than an actual. It person. Has, yeah, just uh, looking at the looking the cover picture. So, <laughs> so I, oh my god, I just clicked on it, and it's even better once you click on it because you can't see the whole thing. I didn't see. I didn't see the. the it's done in paint. First of all, it's done in paint very clearly. Done in paint. And he's used the the line tool to try to draw an American flag, but none of it is lined up. And, and, and so we have that going on. Yeah. Okay. We I just Yeah. It's supposed to say, "Oh my God." Wait, what's it supposed to say? Angels deserve to die, but it says "Angelus" as in Los Angeles. Uh, it's, Angelus. It's a system of a. Oh, oh, 
Oh, that's that. It does. Okay. It does say yeah, system of doubt. That's okay. what the scribbling is. I was. I thought it was like cyst. And, and then, but like, then there's a really, really well done smiley face <laughs> with one eyebrow. <laughs> it's just and like I mean it, it's it's I mean I assume it's a smiley face, but it's not. It's not really happy. It's it's pre- it's pretty awful. And then the thing with this page is that like usually we have these meme pages that are just pictures. These are all these are all incorrectly spelled text statuses. So okay, so here's one. See, I can't even. I you guys, I can't even read these. Like, well, do, just, do, just even just even the first one. <laughs> I, I there's there's a certain like sub demographic of people that use the like the you could do the add you know to any status or picture you post you can add the you know feeling like, like feeling, or yeah, yeah. or whatever <laughs> and of course he puts feeling like I lost yet again excuse <laughs> me but it says this old Romney boy have 32 million friends on here and what's on CNN tonight but the Donald winning over and over again what exactly happened exactly happened one word <laughs> super super two a day <laughs> I made a special ham for Marie <laughs> And she said there with her teen friends making jokes about your Y-O-U apostrophe R-E old Romy boy. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said Romney earlier. It's Romy is what he's saying, but it's uh, spelled Romney. As if I won't be press. (laughs) Next line. This time either. And that's it. It, no, it's it's really good. And I'm just going to read one sentence from one other one that I just really liked. It just says, I'm banned from cars due to a few too many of the old road bears. Thank you. And I think he needs old road beers. <laughs> I like that. Jason, you you know us. Well enough to know that this this page just just fits. It's like like a glove, like a like a really just fucked up glove. This just fits our this show. Like this one, this one. Marie, unlock the door or put my pants outside. Two words. This is not funny. Just because it's the new. This is right on New Year's Eve. Just because it's the new year. Your dad is cold out here and beginning to lose his cool while we can't. <laughs> get any worse and it's like this is exact it's exactly what like an old person would do trying to communicate with their teenage kid on the internet they would post a public status like old people on facebook or well yeah right right like i've had i've had people like very clearly uh, like post to my page, like thinking they're talking to somebody else, and it's always like, "How did you? How did you?" Like, there's like multiple steps involved in what happened here. Well, I don't maybe, understand. Maybe they copy and pasted a status from this page because all of these are. <laughs> it's like shit. Your parents would write if they were really drunk, maybe, and knew how to turn on Facebook the, I, I and had a know. second grade education. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe my only grade. my only complaints, and I do agree with the people that have been posting to his page, is like we need him. We need Matt Romney in our lives now more than ever, and he has not posted <laughs> since March second of this year. Yeah, I guess. I so, guess. I guess Trump got him down, but I mean, yeah, so I guess now. I, now Matt Romney is is he's we, what this he's country still waiting needs. for his pants. He, well, that's yeah. and he he needs our thoughts and prayers. Yes, yeah, definitely. All of it. Well, Jason, this like thank you for this contribution, and I'm really glad that we made you talk about it because it just <laughs> made it that much better. But um, this was a this was a really good why we love the internet, and so everybody needs to check out um this page because it's 
it's really funny. Yeah, and let's so. get uh, where's Romney uh, hashtag twin trending. <laughs> yeah, get that trending. Where's where's Romney? I I think he I think he's having a road bear somewhere. Um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> that's that that's just my guess. A nice cold road bear. Um waiting for his pants. Yep. And come that's, on, Marie. That's him. I know. Marie. Marie, if you're on. listening, come on. It's time. Get time to hand over get, the pants. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Get get him back in our lives. Um all right. Well <laughs> this is this is fun. We'll, we'll do this as a as a long cut here. Just read a couple more of these. Okay. This this one is for <laughs> can't. this this one is for Subway S U B A W A Y restaurant. Tell Yelp the site that I think it's no apostrophe a bad place. Spoiler, comma here's why, comma. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love that you can't just, even get through it. You can't, you can't do it. He goes to make a list. It's just one thing: the subs. <laughs> oh, so, some say the submarine was a good ship, perhaps a good sandwich. Yes, I get that. I do. But as far as I'm concerned, the sandwich there at Subway tastes like an old bar. And it goes on. Well, <laughs> the ambulance. Like, what? Wait, okay. I, <laughs> ambiance. He's trying to say ambiance. Not, not ambulance. ambulance. <laughs> well, I just, found, I just found the origin of the whole, like, he can't drive in a car because I found one about the road, the ice. Okay, listen. First, if you can't drink ice, I can't even read. Ice cold bear on the highway. Why isn't it on the side? Smart guy. <laughs> I can't I can't read these. I have tears in my eyes. Like because I feel like as I'm trying to read these, I feel illiterate. Like I can't read because these the way the letters are together don't make sense. Um also second of all, it's between twelve AM and two AM, which to me I should get some big sort of give him a break, man. Like it doesn't Makes sense. And it says, and nope, I'm arrested. <laughs> so he got arrested for a mere bear. A man with, <laughs> with no hope, but bars to eat these fine beasts. Like, I, oh, and Jason, I see that you liked this one that I'm reading. It says Jason Berkeley and 999 others liked this one. So oh, I wonder if I won a prize for being a thousand. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe um, Matt hasn't sent it yet because he was locked up due to his um, bears on the highway. It is nearly um, twenty one hundred, and yet no press. Oh <laughs> like it's it's it is nearly the year twenty one hundred, yet no press has even come close to getting fucked up and having a good time on the moon. <laughs> it's a national disgrace. <laughs> I just I, put a trash bag on for me and strap me to the rockets. I know it's cold, but it's but as a wizard, I have cold resistance. Low types and yes, they will work in low gravity situation. Okay, enough talk. Do I have to do all the work here? This this is my new favorite page on the internet. Oh, like. I yeah I because I didn't I didn't actually dig too deep into this when you sent me the link Jason I just yeah. kind of looked at it and was like this 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 looks like it works for us I didn't realize how good it was so yeah man. you know well with all the discussions about um, you know sort of the dark times of our our current political conundrum 
it's good to know there's a third party candidate out there who really has our best <laughs> interests at heart and, I, and I, our ice cold I, bears at heart. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go, um, Matt, Matt Romney, 2016, I guess maybe. I've been telling people vote Dukakis, but I guess I could do. Can you, can you throw yeah. your support behind Matt? I can. Well, let's let's get him out of jail and get him some pants. <laughs> let's get him a bear and, and let's, like let's make this country great again. So. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. If you enjoyed listening, please consider leaving us a five star rating on iTunes. If you have any comments, suggestions, complaints, hate mail, you can reach us at podcast at com. You can also find our full podcast archive at scienceenthusiast.com slash category slash podcast and follow Natalie's new page on Facebook as Skeptical Parenting and myself as a science enthusiast. And we're both on Twitter as well. Also, if you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash TSE podcast to get access to premium content as well as our non-eternal gratitude. We understand that not everyone can afford to financially contribute to the show. That's totally okay. But if you can, just like James, Michael, Carlotta, Michael, and Alice have done, we would be incredibly grateful. Natalie, hit us with a quote. Okay, the quote of the week. Without food, man can live at most but a few weeks. Without it, all components of social justice are meaningless. And that's Norman Borlaug. That's like the man himself, right? It is. That's the man himself. I figured um, if we were talking biotechnology and food security and all of that kind of stuff, let's, let, let me just grab a, a Borlaug quote. So, Good yeah. pick. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining me this week. It was a pleasure. Thank you for for doing this with me too so well Well, i do what i can yeah we'll we'll do it again we've we've done 10 episodes already so we'll keep it rolling right yeah Yeah. we have done 10 this this is is 10 10 and does that mean does that mean we're are we still new like at what point can we we not say we're we're a new podcast i don't yeah i don't don't know what what qualifies as as new or or like yeah, I mean, we're are we a real podcast well, I yet? I don't really? even know. No, what? We're we're a, we're a tween podcast okay. at this point. Yeah, we're 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 in our tweens. I like that. We're tweens. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you next week. The music you heard in this podcast was written and performed by Adam Johnson and was used with his permission. You can contact Adam at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com.